One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for tuning in. It's great to have you along. Love that song. It's great to hear podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z, B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that followed. Cots Bros is a full trapping supply company that offers baits, lures, books, DVDs, traps, everything you need to get started on the trap line. So check them out at CotsBros.com. We're also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. Fur Harvesters is an auction house run by trappers for trappers. You can check them out at furharvesters.com where you can find information on pickup agents, locations, auction schedules, and past auction results. So thanks Fur Harvesters and uh, hopefully we have a good fur market coming up this season, but who knows, we will keep track of those auctions and see what happens. Alright, so tonight we have an interview with Brad from Vermont. So Brad's another listener to the podcast, and we got the chance to sit down and talk a little bit about trapping. So thanks, Brad. It's great to listen to guys that listen to the podcast and have all kinds of different insights. And Brad is a uh, a, a pretty interesting trapper. He has an, an a background that um, not a lot of people have, and a, a very good um, basis of wildlife management. So it was really fun to talk with Brad about trapping and wildlife management and kind of how he interacts with people there in Vermont because, you know, Vermont, uh, it doesn't really strike me as a trapping-friendly state necessarily. It just kind of depends on where you are in the state. But Brad is one of those guys that can get along with just about anybody, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. So let's get into it. Brad from Vermont, good to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be here, Jeremiah. I'm uh, I'm happy we were able to get in touch. So, uh, what brings you? What brought you to trapping? Well, I grew up uh, very outdoorsy. Uh, my father always hunted. We always fished. Um, I spent pretty much all my free time outside. Uh, I had a cousin who did a little bit of trapping, and I went with him once. Oh, maybe when I was in middle school or early high school. And then in high school, I had a 
a teacher who actually did some trapping who I convinced to come out and show me how to do a beaver set. And it kind of fell off the radar uh, when I got to college. Just had so much stuff going on. Um, but I always had a really strong interest in it. And I always kind of felt that draw to try it. So three years ago, I think it was, uh, I took the class in uh, Vermont um, and just had an awesome time. I thought it was super interesting, uh, really enjoy wildlife conservation. I went to school for fisheries and wildlife biology, so I always had a really strong interest in you know, every aspect of, of population management and conservation and everything. And then it just kind of bit me, uh, went out and started making sets, really started with water trapping. Uh, I went out to a local place and made two sets, I think the first sets I ever made. And the next day I had a 59-pound beaver, <laughs> which was a really cool way to start. What, what kind of set it, was it? Uh, it was, it was a, just a run. There's a, a local pond lake area, and there's a river that comes into it. And there's a river, and then there's kind of a setback with a point of land in between. And there was just this beautiful, I mean, you could probably pick it out from Google Maps, you know, zoom down into space. It was just the perfect spot. And I trudged out there with my waders and, you know, almost fell in three times and made it out and just put a 330. I had two 330s and I put them both in that run and went out the next day and one of the traps was full and I kind of couldn't stop ever since. Nice. So where'd you go from there, from the, from the beavers, what'd you transition into? Uh, I definitely stuck with a lot of beaver trapping. Uh, the first year, the very first year when I got my license, I didn't quite have enough gear to really do much of anything. I spoke with uh, my teacher from high school who lent me, I think, one 330. And, or no, I'm sorry. He lent me a couple of uh, smaller traps to make fisher sets. And he lent me, I think, two Duke number twos. And I went to town for one day. I think I only had one weekend and didn't catch a fisher, shockingly. Uh, so the following year was when I started putting the effort into beaver trapping, managed to catch a handful of beavers, uh, got a lot more familiar with it and really started enjoying it, and actually started picking up some nuisance beaver work, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and then this year we started working a little bit more on land trapping, so did a short little uh, fisher line and ended up catching my first coon. Uh, didn't catch a fisher, but didn't have a lot of time to commit to it. And now we're just kind of gearing up for next year. We still have under ice trapping here in Vermont. Yep. We can do that until I think the end of March. Uh, so I'm going to try to do a little beaver muskrat and otter trapping before that season ends. But the weather has just been terrible <laughs> lately. Uh, we just barely got through this big ice storm and snow and all kinds of junk coming down from the sky. So I'm hoping once the rivers settle down and it was nice and warm, so we lost a lot of snow and ice. So I'm hoping to be able to get out again uh, at some point soon. Yeah, the snow finally stopped falling here, but it uh, will probably get the same storm as you. I think it ended up being more sleet than than uh, anybody had called for. They're talking about you know a foot and a half of snow up here, but we only get it few inches on top of a couple inches of real heavy stuff yeah yeah we're in central vermont and we're always right on the edge of the good and the bad whether a storm goes below us or goes over us we're always kind of right on that edge and 
At first, they were calling for up to an inch of ice, just pure ice. Yeah, that would have been uh, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we ended up with basically an inch of rain, which I'll, I'll take over an inch of ice any day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so the funny. You, I want to touch really quick on the nuisance stuff because I had actually just talked with a guy uh, earlier today about about the same topic, and it it's and I and actually a couple of other people in the past couple of weeks. It's it's difficult to uh, when you're when you just started out trapping and you're just learning the ropes. One of the best ways to get permission right now is is nuisance beaver trapping because everybody has beaver problems. The prices are so low and nobody's trapping beavers. Well, it puts you in a position where you're looking for places to trap. You got landowners who want to have you trap. But there's just that one little aspect of not really having a lot of experience beaver trapping. And so yeah. it's pretty uncomfortable sometimes, isn't it? It is. It's very uncomfortable. And, you know, I started, I started about three years ago, like I said, and I love the idea of trapping. But as you know, it's hard to justify trapping financially, right? So if you love it, that's yeah. one thing. And I look at it as any other activity that I do. I, I don't trap to make money by any means. In fact, I don't even sell my fur because I catch so little that I usually just have stuff tanned and make things for myself or wall hangings and stuff like that. But what I did think of early on was that if I could learn this craft and if I could understand it and get good at it, then there is a potential to either make some sort of money or some sort of minimal compensation from doing some oddball nuisance work or when the fur market comes back, I'm in a position where I'm already well-versed and I know what I'm doing and I don't have to learn at that time. Yes. So I really had a, I had a big interest in the nuisance trapping. And I think there's so much more to nuisance trapping than making a dollar off a of beaver. I think nuisance trapping is a really good way to put a really positive light on trapping for people who don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good way, like you say, to meet new people, to get permission to new places. Uh, I enjoy speaking with people who have, you know, animal damage problems, but they don't know anything about animals. I had a guy call me who moved, uh, to a local town nearby us and he just bought a house. He was from New Jersey and he had a beaver in this nice pond in the backyard and they were kind of afraid of it. They didn't want their kids going in the water. They didn't want you know, anything bad to happen. And they had some nice trees around that the beaver had been uh, messing around with. And so he got a hold of my information. I went over and I talked to him. You know, I explained the traps. I explained trapping. He had no problem with any of it. He just wanted the beaver gone. And come to find out, we actually ran into a really interesting predicament with uh, that specific town is home to a very large group of anti-trapping advocates. And I, I don't know this for certain, but I think that those advocates have really pushed in that area to put really tight restrictions on uh, nuisance beaver trapping specifically. So I ended up not being able to trap because there was some confusion on the steps that had to be taken prior to a lethal removal. And it was some new some new rules that had come out and it actually ended up uh, being only related to town owned lands, okay. but the local wardens 
weren't really familiar with it and there was still some confusion and it just kind of turned into a, a big hassle. And, Not worth the trouble uh, kind of deal. And and it wasn't. And, you know, I'm in it to help people more than, you know, anything else. And I said to the guy, uh, I said, I'm happy to work with you on this, but the steps that they wanted us to take were the steps that they want people to take prior to trapping on municipal lands, which ended up not being the case. But that aside was this long litany of things. I mean, we were going to have to wrap every tree on his property. We were going to have to install beaver baffles in the culverts. We were going to have to try, you know, all this stuff. And I said to the guy, you know, we can spend thousands of dollars and, you know, all kinds of time trying to solve this this way. I said, or when the October trapping season comes along, you can give me permission to trap on your land and I can go do it with no issue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So we decided to opt for that which is uh, not a big deal, and it ended up that the beaver kind of made its way out of that area anyways, and he never had to get a hold of me again. So I was a little bummed because I lost down on landowner permission there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, But the guy was super nice. Yeah, and it was positive. You know, he left with a good view of trappers, and I left happy that I had at least the opportunity to explain some of this stuff to him. And I actually ended up getting the chance to speak with some people from our, our state agency about those rules and getting a little more clarification on them, which was good. Yeah. So you, you're pretty rare in that you enjoy talking with people because a lot of us trappers like to avoid people as much as we can. So that's, it's good that you're yeah. taking the opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I do enjoy it. I don't, I never feel bad about trapping. I never, I never, uh, you know, try to hide myself when I'm out there. That being said, I have never had a really negative interaction with someone while I'm doing it. Um, I've never had someone yell at me or scream at me or anything like that. And on the contrary, I've actually had lots of opportunities with both friends and people I don't know to really engage them about trapping and have conversations with them about some of the realities and the misconceptions and stuff that a lot of us are probably familiar with. And a lot of people I know are in that 80% where they're, they're swayed one way or the other very easily, but they just don't have the information to make that final decision. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do enjoy being able to advocate for something. Uh, I, I definitely try to propose very, very real, very logical discussions with people and not, you know, get wound up in emotion, but I think it's important. I think it's, uh, definitely not for everyone, but I enjoy it for sure. So, uh, Vermont, uh, maybe you can explain the, a little bit of this to us because Vermont has always struck me as interesting in the sense that uh, people seem to be very politically very liberal, but at the same time very much in support of gun rights. Um, and so how does that spill into how people feel about trapping? Yeah, Vermont's a funny state. Uh, I'm 26. I've lived here all my life. Um I went to school in Vermont, went to college in Vermont, so I really like it here, and I, I definitely have a pulse on on some of the dichotomies that we have here. We've got a very um, we've got a very liberal centered Burlington area for those who are familiar with Burlington. Uh, Burlington is definitely the most densely populated area in the state. A lot of business, a lot of stuff like that, and then the rest of the state is definitely more rural and the number of people in that Burlington area, that Chittenden County area, is 
pretty close to the number of the people in the rest of the state. So when you come down to things like trapping or gun rights or political issues like that, we're, we can be very divided where geographically the majority of the state may be pro-trapping, pro-hunting, pro-gun rights, but population-wise, that core area of you know anti-trapping or anti-gun rights has a really strong political influence of this state. So I would say that there's definitely a culture of the outdoors in Vermont. Um, I think a lot of people here who grew up around hunting and all that kind of stuff, the rural people, really have no problem with anything. And a lot of the people in the Burlington area and the city area, they're even starting to shift because they're very into the local food movement, the sustainability movement. Um, and I think that goes a long way. I think that gives us a lot of power to be able to explain some of the things that we're doing and, and you know, engage these people and why this is a positive thing. And, you know, we know where our food comes from. We know where our fur comes from, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that is pretty critical if, if we can find ways to incorporate trapping into that movement uh, and, and explain to people how, how that all works together, uh, that is a huge opportunity for us as trappers. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we personally try to do it. I, I kind of am like you. I try to bring it up casually whenever I can. Um, I have no problem telling people that I trap, and if they have no interest in hearing about it, I certainly don't push anyone to, to you know, hear about what I have to think because they may not care. But, yeah. uh, you know, if they have any interest or if they say, well, you know, I, I was never a big fan of those big tooth traps and, you know, there's no rules on it and this and that, it's, you know, those are the people I like to have a discussion with because they just they just don't know any better and they're open to, to learning more about it. And I think coming into it with a background in fisheries and wildlife biology and, you know, game management and animal management and all that stuff really helps to be able to articulate some of those those population-based ideas rather than individual animal uh, concerns. Sure. So you've used you've been able to use some of your education to help inform how you how you interact with people as a trapper. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, when you when like when you were getting going, what kind of a trapper community was around? Did you know other trappers? Were there people you were able to to gain information from and learn from? It it was tough. Uh, I had one cousin, like I said, who, who was a trapper. He doesn't do a lot anymore, and um, I, I, I just didn't get a lot of opportunity to learn trapping from him. Uh, and, you know, everybody's busy. The, the person that I had known, uh, my high school teacher there, he's been very open to help me when he can, but doesn't do a lot of trapping anymore, doesn't have time to, you know, go run a line with me. So I'm kind of that in-between generation where, you know, I maybe can't change some of the settings on my iPhone, but I, I know how to look up trapping videos on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did I did a lot of internet research, um, definitely a lot of podcasts. I mean, once I once I kind of got bit by the bug, I just started consuming content wherever I could. Yeah. And I had to learn a lot of stuff the hard way, and still do for sure. Right. Um, I, you know, would listen to podcasts. I have a job where I operate equipment and stuff for a lot of the day sometimes. So I would burn through, you know, five or 10 year podcasts in a day sometimes and, 
you know, just, just try to consume content whenever I'm passive and then not learning anything. And sometimes it gets to the point where, you know, if I listen to Coyote Trapping School for eight hours, I get off, off the tractor and go home and talk in a southern accent. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I hey, try well. to be careful about alternating <laughs> what I listen to. Right, right. Got to keep it balanced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's fun, though. I mean, I just, I'm one of those people that if I'm driving in the car for more than 20 minutes, I want to be listening to a podcast. But, you yeah. know, I want to be consuming something that is going to help me in the long run instead of listening to the same eight songs on the radio over and over again i'm the same exact way i want to be learning learning about something and and uh if i can be entertained and be learning at the same time it's even better yeah yeah exactly so so i spent a lot of time you know just consuming content online reading whatever i could uh just getting it wherever i can and you know like all of us i don't have as much time to go out and trap as i'd like i've typically just been a weekend warrior um the first year, I only had one or two weekends to trap. Uh, my second year, I was able to put a lot more time and effort into it, picked up some nuisance work, uh, started, you know, checking traps before I'd get called into plow roads at 4 a.m., and I'd be too excited to wait until after to check <laughs> traps. So I'd be, you know, up before I even got called into work kind of thing, which was always fun. But this year, I was able to do less than I wanted to. We, uh, we got married and bought a house in the same week this summer. Wow, congratulations. Which, yeah, thank you. It was it was awesome, but it was, you know, it was a lot to take in. And we bought a house that, you know, needs a little work, so we've been just chipping away at stuff and just been a crazy, crazy summer. So we actually slowed down a little bit during the, the hunting and trapping seasons, which was nice. And we were able to do a little bit more and, you know, set some weekend lines. My wife has started trapping as well, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah, how'd um, you get her into trapping? I don't know. I guess I'm just lucky. Uh, <laughs> we, I, I was really into it. We've been together for about five years and married this summer, and she just saw me kind of become more and more consumed by it and, and spending more and more time out there. And She didn't grow up hunting um, or trapping, for that matter but always had an interest in it and she started hunting a lot, you know, once we started living together and she's really enjoyed that. And, you know, I would take off on a weekend and say, I'm going to go set beaver traps. And, you know, she, she would either come with me or not be able to see me that day. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we went out a couple times and I would just have her tag along. She was really interested in it. And then she signed up to take her class, her trapper's education class, this summer. Uh, took that and enjoyed the class. And, you know, ever since then, we've just been, whenever I'm out trapping, she's usually with me. So it's been a lot of fun. And it's it's nice that I don't have to hide Amazon receipts when I'm buying <laughs> trapping stuff, too. So usually she's hiding them from me now. So <laughs> That's good. Yeah, a lot of times when people tag along, they might not think they're going to enjoy it. But it's, yeah. it's that whole yeah. uh, Christmas morning excitement when you're going to check the traps. It's hard to, it's hard not to enjoy it and want to go back. It is, and you know, I've got I've got another friend now who just was thinking about starting this year, did a little bit, and now is you know totally gung ho on the whole idea and buying equipment and asking questions and all that. And now I'm having a lot of fun because when you spend three years doing something, you don't think you know anything at all. Until you talk and then to you someone start, who just started, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then you start explaining these things, and you're like, holy cow, man, I, 
I know, you know, a little bit. I'm still no good at it, but I, I definitely know a few things now. So, yeah. so that's a lot of yeah. fun. And uh, I, I think the biggest thing that I tell people who are getting getting into trapping is it'll just change your perspective on on the woods and the water. You you will not look at things the same way after you start trapping. You know, you just from looking. I was walking outside and shoveling my driveway the other day, and I'm looking at mice runs in the snow and you know <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. And I'm in my deer stand, and you you just you you see things totally different. You know, you see you think start to think like the animals, and you start to drive down the road and almost drive off because you're looking at a swamp and you're looking for muskrat runs and all kinds of stuff. So it just it's it's such an enriching activity. It enriches your life so much, and it gives you such a different perspective. It unlocks a whole new world that you never even saw before. Exactly, exactly. And you just, you can't go back. You can't go back to ignoring those tracks and, you know, ignoring that stuff. It's, it's just impossible to. So you that you sent me a picture. Was that your wife's first beaver? That was, yeah, that was fun. So that, that same location uh, that I was talking about earlier where I caught my first beaver, um, we went back this year. And I typically get out a little early on Fridays, uh, the way my work schedule works, and then have the weekends off. So we were able to truck out there. We It was sometime in, I think, mid-November, late November. And it was just a gorgeous day. So we're out there, and we uh, launch a canoe. We've got, you know, a handful of traps. And the runs weren't as close as they had been. There had been some flooding there during the summer. And so it kind of threw off the normal topography of the area. So we had to paddle a little ways. And I think I made, I don't know, four sets that I thought were pretty good and uh, a couple muskrat sets, things like that. And then she picked one spot and said, you know, I, I want to set here. And I said, perfect. So I helped her set the trap and then she made the set. She put everything in, you know, got it just the way she wanted. And I said, perfect, we're good to go. Well, that night, the temperature dropped down more than I thought. <laughs> and we showed up the next day to about maybe an inch, inch and a half of ice uh, at the boat ramp. <laughs> so we're there. I've got, you know, one paddle for my canoe. We're trying to get through and bust in ice, and it's miserable, and the wind is blowing like crazy, and it just turns into this total fiasco. All four of my sets were completely empty. One of them, a beaver, had actually pushed over onto the ground without actually setting off. And we're just kind of so defeated and frustrated. And then we walk down to the last set that she had made, and there's this nice beaver in it. Awesome. So it was, uh, it, was, it was humbling, as trapping can often be. And she was excited. You know, we, uh, we just had a blast. You know, no matter what's going on at home, no matter what's going on anywhere, once you get out there and start setting traps and you're outside together and doing that kind of stuff, you just forget about all of it and you just have fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, you have been talking about maybe things that, things that you want to do to help promote trapping now that you've kind of got into it and, and you're enjoying it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's important. Um, I think if you are interested in and passionate about something and there's a risk that that can go away, then I think you really have a responsibility to do something in order to protect it and in order to maintain that activity in perpetuity. And, you know, I just, I, I kind of felt this, this passion grow. Um, I think I became more passionate about trapping, learning how passionate some people are about ending trapping. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, people who are passionate about watching basketball, they're not worried about basketball going away. Sure. <laughs> there's there's nothing that's going to that's going to harm what they love to do, but I just think it's such an important thing that is so underrepresented in today's society and so so underappreciated uh, for how important it is. You know, I, I often, when I'm speaking with people who are interested about it, talk about, you know, this is the only way that we get biological data on a lot of these animals. And right. if we don't do this, we, we won't know what's going on. So the other thing that I felt like I needed to do because I just didn't have enough things going on in my life was <laughs> to sign up to start teaching trappers education. Nice. And I did that in the fall and just got some of the materials back. I just barely took the online class where you're essentially taught how to teach. Uh, you're not taught what to teach, but how to teach. And I forget what that's through, but the state agency sent that along with me. And I wrapped that up the other night, and I've got a class in April uh, to learn the material and learn how to teach it. And then I can go out and start co-teaching with certified instructors and then become my own instructor. So that I is, think that's, that's great because that's, that's such a huge barrier for a lot of people. There's always a limit to the number of trapper education uh, people that are, that are available. And if you can't yeah. get a course, you can't trap. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, we're in central Vermont and for me to take my trappers education, I had to drive about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, a way to go take a class, which isn't terrible, but that could certainly be a barrier to a lot of people. And for my wife to take her class, it was closer to two, two hours and 15 minutes away. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to fill that geographical void a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, start teaching a class around here. And it's kind of funny when I've just brought it up in conversation with people, I've already got, I think, six students that want to <laughs> sign up, people I know. Um, and some people that don't even, they, they, they have no interest in actually even setting a trap. They just want to sit in and listen. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily far off from that when I took the class. And then I got out and set a trap, and, and the rest is history, as they say. Do you talk with, do you, do you hear from people who maybe just want to catch one animal, catch a beaver, uh, get, you know, get a pelt tanned or something like that? Oh, sure, sure. And, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people who, who have certain things that they don't want to do that they're not comfortable with. You know, they, they want to go trap beavers with conifers, but they don't want to trap coyotes with footholds or, you know, whatever, whatever their personal uh, opinion may be on it. But I think what's cool about it is that they still want to take the class and they still want to hear, you know, what, what there is to know about trapping and what they don't know and just, you know, broaden their horizons a little bit. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, absolutely is so so is trapping uh is it threatened in vermont or have there been any movements recently to try to try to ban trapping or part aspects of trapping there yeah so we we have you know that that strong opposition between that kind of rural core and then that more progressive area in the state we've had a lot of of chatter um there's one group in particular that their goal is to end trapping period you know um and they're vocal and they're they're strong. They have a lot of membership. They have a lot of people who really believe that that's what needs to happen. Um, if you look at a lot of their arguments, uh, I personally can't say that many of them have any merit whatsoever. Uh, these are people who 
suggest putting food piles out for problem animals so that they don't be a problem. And <laughs> as anyone familiar with, you know, wildlife disease management and population, I mean, it's just a terrible idea. So the, the, the arguments that they have are not based in science. They're, they're extremely based in emotion. And then we even have a, a particular group that is specifically out there advocating for coyotes. Um, really? They were able, wow. Yes. We, uh, the, the, most we hated, the most hated fur bear in the country. Yeah, and, you know, we've, we've got a group that's vocal. They were able to, I, I don't know which group specifically, or, and it may have been a combination of them, so I don't want to mislead anybody, but I believe it was last year uh, they were able to pass legislation that banned and put fines and potential loss of license on uh, coyote killing contests. Mm-hmm. So they, they got that passed. Um, they're starting to attempt to do the same with, with more and more of these activities. Uh, uh, hunting bears with dogs is, is a legal and pretty popular activity in Vermont. Yep. And that's something that those groups have really been targeting uh, really hard. They're working the well edges, as, just the things that are the most they feel are the most vulnerable. Yep. Exactly, exactly. They, they, they find... They find the things that take the most knowledge about to accept, I guess you could say. Right, um, yeah, right. Things... It, it, on the surface, they're least popular. Exactly, exactly. And they start there, and, and then they just go for the throat after that. So yeah. it is scary. Um, we we don't make a lot of forward progress here. Uh, we're we're kind of, we play damage control a lot. One good thing that we've had happen is we have a, a great, uh, state Vermont State Trappers Association. They're a great group of people. They advocate really well. Um, they actually were able to make a big donation to help with a land purchase um, in central Vermont. And it was kind of right in the core area of one of these anti-groups, which was even <laughs> uh, even better. And, you know, that maintained a huge tract of land for the public to use for, you know, recreational activities and and trapping included for the for the rest of the time. So, you know, we're we're fighting here. We really are. And yeah, and hopefully there are signs of, and, and this things showing people that recreate there. Hey, this was partially funded by Vermont Trappers Association. Yeah, yeah. You know, we bought a house near a town forest, and when we moved in just prior, I was kind of driving around and checking the area out. And there's a big town forest near us, and I drive up, and at the trailhead, it says, you know, welcome to the town forest, uh, hunters, trappers, and fishermen, welcome. So that's pretty cool, you know, but that makes you want to buy a house there. It does. It definitely (laughs) does. Um, but you don't find that in Chittenden County. Um, that's not something that you see in Burlington or in Williston or, you know, some of these other places around the state that are a little more densely populated. So getting on the offensive is, is, uh, is probably the greatest challenge, uh, in between the, you know, all the all the defensive battles trying to just keep keep what we do right now uh, going I guess yeah yeah you know you, you've got to fight you've got to put out the fires that are already started but you got to install smoke detectors too <laughs> I mean you, you just you have to be offensive about this stuff and you've got to you know support people who are being offensive about this stuff and who are really you know pushing to get the good information out and, and shed trapping in a positive light. And I think there's a lot of people doing that in this state. I really do. And 
we've kind of started doing it ourselves a little bit. We run a little um, Instagram page where we kind of highlight our own little homesteading adventures, and we were a little nervous to put trapping <laughs> stuff on there. I bet. Uh, we yeah, really were because we started off as kind of a gardening uh, Instagram because we had our, our garden at our apartment going, and the basis was basically, you know, us millennials living in an apartment can still do some homesteading stuff, and, mm -hmm. and we're not just sitting around on our phone. And the fall came around, and we kind of led people into it a little bit. We had a handful of followers, and we're saying, you know, trapping season, hunting season, all that stuff. And we posted our first trapping picture, and it wasn't a dead animal in a trap. I, I, I forget what the picture was exactly, um, but it was trapping-related, and we lost, like, 20 or 30 followers overnight. Really? And it, it was just interesting because we were very upfront with people, and but now... Our, our followers have jumped up and these trapping pictures have not only gotten trappers excited and, you know, involved in this page, but we've got people who are, have never been exposed to trapping whatsoever who will pull us aside and say, I had no idea that that's how it worked. You know, I have no idea that, that that's how a trap, you know, actually dispatched an animal or that you can eat the meat from a beaver or that, you did anything with the pelts after you were done with it. And so it's, it's been a really positive thing. And, you know, if just watching those, those few followers and what we lost versus what we gained, I, I think people are really interested in this stuff. You know, there's, there's a group of people who, who do not like it and will not like it. And you can't change their minds as we know, but when people are exposed to trapping and, and, you know, using animals and the responsible consumptive use of animals, they're really fascinated and they're really excited about it. Do you want to share that uh, Instagram page for people who want to check it out? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a small little page where we try to keep up on it. Um, it's VT, as in Vermont, VT Millennial Homesteaders. Um, and so we, you know, we won't post any real groundbreaking trapping techniques or anything like that, but we we try to keep updated on it and, you know, just, just put the word out there that, just because we're in our 20s doesn't mean that we're locked to our cell phones. Yeah. yeah. And it's been fun. You know, we were living in an apartment for the, the past three years, and we really enjoy all these outdoor activities, but it's hard to have a garden, and it's hard to, to flesh a beaver when you're in a one-bedroom <laughs> apartment. I know. And I did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, fortunately, my parents live not too too, uh, too, too far away, so I had access to to their house and, and they're not shy about letting me capitalize on their garage and, you know, canoe and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. now that we've moved into the house, uh, one of the things on our home buying list was, you know, it has to have a, something that can be used as a fur shed. So, yeah. so we've yeah. got our little garage and, you know, we've been, we've been just loving being able to have a little piece of land and, and room to roam and all that good stuff that comes along with home ownership besides the roof leaks and the, mowing the lawn and that stuff a little bit of freedom yeah exactly so it's been a lot of fun yeah so what's next for you i think we're we're gonna try to do a little bit more trapping this season um we've got some personal bucket list stuff that we haven't been able to to get in touch with an otter yet so that's one that's definitely on the list for me um try to stave off the cabin fever but I, uh, I've run a little nuisance trapping business. I haven't done a whole lot of work with it, but I definitely would like to pick that up a little bit. Um, I'd like to be able to be a little more adaptable and have a, 
a little wider variety of species that I can help people with. Uh, and then this spring, I'll be making the transition for taking the class for uh, trapper's education instruction, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, I definitely will will uh, overthink whatever lesson plan I put together. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited about that. I really am. And I, at my former job, I, I did some sort of scientific outreach to all the way from fourth graders up to you know graduate students. Um, so I, I like to think that I have a little bit of a knack for that, and I, I like communicating with people who maybe have no exposure to this stuff. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then we're just we're just getting gear ready, uh, getting ready for next season. We've got a, a friend who owns a local farm that lets us trap there, so I, I'm going to probably start working on doing some scouting and some trail cameras and setting some cubbies for next year. Uh, my biggest problem is being so limited – and being so new, I'm not efficient at all. <laughs> so, you know, this year I had, I think, three cubbies I made from wire that I had to go strap to trees, and then I'm, you know, pounding in pine branches to try to make a cubby, and it's just, it was a disaster. So we're going to try to get set up a little bit better for that that kind of stuff next season, and uh, hopefully still get out and do a little more trapping this season for sure. Yeah, and that, that stuff will come with time. You'll... I think if you go get out and do the under ice beaver, you'll you'll get into the same situation where you're going to spend like half a day putting in two sets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I'm definitely thinking that's probably the case. Luckily, right now, I, I think the the most ice we have on a lake around here is probably eight or ten inches, and yeah. that's yeah. that's the exception. You know, we lost a lot with this warm weather, so I don't think there's quite as much. Uh, quite as much ice to chip which is nice and that's good my yeah. wife got a nice set of waders for christmas so now she doesn't have to stay in the canoe for the majority of the day and <laughs> we'll be able to go out and actually actually put a put a hurting on them awesome good deal well anything else you wanted to want to talk about brad no i don't think so uh i i think we pretty much covered it i it's you know it's a pleasure to get on here and and chat with you and hopefully uh hopefully i have something that people can take something home from well i think it's great uh what you're doing and what how you got started trapping and the fact that you're you're uh you're helping to promote trapping you're very well spoken and i think you're going to be a good spokesperson for uh for trapping in vermont and and maybe beyond that so it's great and uh thanks for for uh, getting in touch with me and and please uh keep me updated with uh how, how your trapping goes here moving forward yeah, absolutely. And you know, if anybody if anybody has any uh, any interest in reaching out to us or any questions or you know, hey, how how did you actually go about learning this stuff? <laughs> There's so much to it. Just hop on that Instagram page and uh, send us a message. You know, we check it and we're always willing to chat with people and have a discussion. So great. That uh, that's a good way to get in touch, and we enjoy the the dialogue for sure. It's always fun to talk with trappers, especially, you know, we're all scattered about the country, you know, in in different areas that, you know, it's, it's very seldom you have a trapper within a few miles that's, you know, has a lot in common with you. So it's cool to be able to get on and and talk with a bunch of people from all over the place that going through the same stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so many, so many people who are trappers are, are afraid to admit it. And, and they're afraid of the repercussions that could come from it. So 
you typically don't see people walking around with, you know, a, a sweatshirt with a trap on it or a trapping bumper sticker. You know, I think people tend to kind of lay low. And when you do find someone in person, you know, it's so nice to be able to have a conversation and look at gear, you know, just have that connection. But the internet has allowed us to, to do that remotely, which is, which is also nice. But I guess my kind of final thought would just be, don't be, don't be afraid of it. You know, let people know what you do and just be respectful. If you're respectful to someone and you disagree with them, if they get hurt feelings over that, then that's on them. You know, as long as you're respecting people and you're able to just have a nice conversation and explain why you're doing what you're doing, I think that can go a long way. I think that's good advice. All right. Well, thanks again, Brad. And uh, we will, we'll keep in touch. Yeah. Sounds good, Jeremiah. Have a good one. All right. You too. Take care.